Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They've got agents in every county in the state of Mississippi, and if you're not using Farm Bureau, you should be, because that's what I use. That's what Charlie did. Don't you use Farm Bureau? Absolutely. Okay, so Charlie does too. So we both use Farm Bureau, so you should too. Go to favorites.com, look them up, and no doubt the best customer service of any insurance in the state of Mississippi. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Well, we had our Sunday coffee this past week. We tried to kind of dive back from that loss in Oxford on Saturday. Charlie, anything we want to talk about before we put that thing to bed? <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel like we ought to talk about it. Whether we want to talk about it's another issue. But, look, you go back, and the thing I think you take some encouragement from Again, not excusing losses, not happy that you lost, but I think what you have to be happy about as a Mississippi State fan, if you go back a month, there was some questions about the level of effort we were seeing. There was some question about the commitment and what we have seen in the past couple of weeks, Georgia and then against Ole Miss, some young guys really starting to answer the call, really starting to step up, and you see a lot of reason to have hope for the future. And Look, one of the things that's been talked about is that Mississippi State hasn't had a receiver drafted since Eric Moulds 25 years ago. Boy, Jaden Wally looks a lot like a guy's going to get drafted one day. Well, he really does. And so what does that spell for the rest of the season? Now, all of a sudden, we have two games left. You know, the last time we played a game after the Ole Miss game, that was in 2001 with the Mountain West officials against BYU tried to kill us. And so now you play two games after the battle for the Golden Egg what are you wanting to see over the next couple of weeks? I want to see a win. Ultimately, all the improvement in the world uh, only takes you so far, right? You can only feel so good about, well, we played hard, we played well. Ultimately, you're going to want to see a win. But I think we want to con continue to see a team that has looked very competent passing the football. The thing I'd like to see, I think Will Rogers has shown you he can throw it down the field a little bit. Now, we're not going to come out and throw it 40 yards down the field, but start to push into that 10, 15, 20-yard area. I'd love to see some more of those plays with Wally down the field. Of course, we were supposed to be playing football this Saturday against Missouri, and they you know, moved Missouri and Arkansas. They're going to play that battle for Branson in the game on Saturday. And so then you know, we play Auburn, scheduled to play Auburn on the 12th of December. They haven't made the official announcement, but are you still thinking that we're probably going to play Missouri on December the 19th? Yeah, it feels like we are, and – Look, I think the SEC has a lot of financial incentive to get some games played. And I think Mississippi State has some incentive to play some games. Look, we haven't had many opportunities to play at home this year. We filled our obligation to go on the road and play. Yep. And so might as well turn on the lights, open the doors, and see what happens and give these young guys a chance to compete and hopefully give yourself a chance to 
get some positive momentum headed into the offseason. Yeah, we took the road twice with less than 50 scholarship players, so now we want somebody to come to our house and play. Yeah, and meanwhile, we could be doing that this weekend. We got a lot of our guys back, and that just happens to be the week that Birmingham tells us we don't need you. Hey, this past Sunday, we, we brought up something, or actually I brought it up, but we had talked about it beforehand, about the state of college football and where we're going from right now and about how you know you wondered about rivalry games and – the semesters ending early, what college athletes were going to do when all the other students are off of campus here at the end of the season where the games don't mean as much. Are you going to see more opt-outs? You're seeing that a little bit now. Over the past week, LSU had a wide receiver opt-out, and you're seeing it across the country. I mean, Kirk Herbstreit got in all kind of trouble the other night on the college football playoff show about alluding to Michigan trying to dodge Ohio State, and you just kind of wonder around the country how excited teams are to play these final few weeks because you have injuries that have kind of added up the COVID issues. Players are opting out. I wonder what college football is going to be over the next four to six weeks. It's interesting, a lot of people talking about, see, we made it, see, it could happen. Well, we haven't made it yet. And there have been a lot of cases across the country that are on the rise. We just don't know. And I go back to, and you think about all the ways that COVID could impact you beyond playing or not playing, beyond opt-outs or not. Think back to the World Series in baseball. You know, so the Dodgers have a guy taken out of the ball game, what, in the eighth inning yeah. of game six? And you wonder. Still celebrated. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then you wonder, would you have played game seven? Would you have postponed it? What's going to happen if Clemson and the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, uh, number two in the poll right now, are overrated. set to play in an ACC championship game and Clemson can't play? What if they've got – and if you look for a team who deserves not to be able to play, it's Clemson after Dabo's kind of run his mouth so much. You know, oh. it would be uh, – that would be the team to deserve to have some contact tracing and not be able to play a game. But then so what if those conference championships don't get played? What if Ohio State, who's played about four games all year, right now they're sitting at number four. They had not done anything. It's all based on the name. I think we kind of said this coming in. You're just going to have to – I won't say put an asterisk by this year, but you were going to just have to understand it wasn't going to be perfect, but at least it would be something. And the big hope I have right now is that you just find a way to get it finished. Yeah, Michigan's got all kind of issues going on right now outside of football. I mean, they have the, the COVID issue going on, but then then they have a situation that they're just not any good. They're just not. Yeah, a there good is fo- that. They're not a good football team. So then you ask yourself the question, and, and I think this is what they're talking about right now in the Big Ten is is did they play the game like the SEC? Did they try to find another opponent next week if Michigan can't go for Ohio State to make them eligible? Because right now, you know, the, the whole purpose of, of the season to start with is, well, in the Big Ten was, well, we can't play, and now we're going to try to play, and now we're going to alter the rules halfway through to make sure we get a team in the playoffs. I mean, we're going to, you know, take this one step at a time and a, deep, a deeper step every time we take that step. And we said it all along about how crazy college football season was going to be anyway. You mentioned talking about the asterisk. This is just a weird year. I mean, this is just a strange year. Don't you want to say to Kevin Warren, no, you know what? We're going to go with your first instinct. Y'all stay home. Keep <laughs> keep your Big Ten teams. We'll let the ACC and the SEC play this one out. That's what I was about to say. You know, what if Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game? What if Alabama loses to Florida? 
And then all of a sudden you there got There you go. There's your four teams, right? There's your four teams right there. Yeah. Boy, can you imagine the gnawing of teeth from Dennis Dobbs and all these media guys from around the country if the SEC and the ACC play for the national championship have all four teams. Open it up. We're going to have 16 teams. Oh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get that playoff expanded. Hey, switching gears a little bit. Last night, me and you had women's basketball. And uh, Coach Nikki McCray-Pinson, their team looked really good. You know, New Orleans was a team last year that won 17 games. Now, I know they, they lost a few players off last year's team. But in women's basketball last night, I mean, we, we looked apart. We looked a part of a top-10 team. Jessica Carter was outstanding. I really think after just watching them in person, this has a chance to be a team that could be really special as the season goes on. They're not very deep right now. They're only playing about 10 players right now. And I know that's a lot, but you like to whittle that down a little bit more. But at the end of the day, this this could be a special year for women's basketball. It's interesting, isn't it, to see the same talent but a very different team than what you had the past couple of years. You think back to the teams that Vic Schaefer would put on the court, what were you going to see? You are going to see teams that – basically played full-court man defense. We didn't see that a single time last night that I can remember. And you were going to have basically the same dribble-drive type sets on offense. We saw an offense yesterday that was quite varied. We saw a lot of different looks, a lot of different approaches. And so you go back and you look. It's I think Sydney Cooks really adds something to that team too. Yeah. She's a McDonald's All-American. You know about her ability to play. I was impressed by her ability to share the basketball. Yes, Here's the thing, in, in years past, in the past couple of years, you've had teams that have, that have not shot it well from the outside. I think this team's going to shoot well from the outside. And two, then you ask yourself the question, what happens if you get a player in foul trouble? Okay, what if Jessica Carter gets three quick fouls against South Carolina? Well, then you do have a Sydney Cooks who can roll down to that five position. You do have some players. You know, If Tierra McCowan got in foul trouble a few years ago, uh-oh, but here's the thing about it. And where did Tierra McCowan make her hay? When we were shooting all these threes from the outside, he had the long rebounds, and she got all these rebounds inside. I'm telling you, Jessica Carter and Sydney Cooks are going to get those long rebounds this year. And the offensive rebound and the offensive putbacks, what do we have, 72 points in the paint last night? Yeah, it was phenomenal. When you add up, we had between points in the paint and free throws, all but 21 points of our points in the ball game were in the paint at the free throw line. It was just phenomenal. Dribble drive, Rakia Jackson. And looks, look, Jemiah Mingo Young, you know, was a yeah. guard going in and rebounding. It seemed like she was around the basket just all the time. And men's basketball, the first game of the season, we did not play well at all against Clemson. We didn't. We looked like a team playing their first game against another Power 5 school. Clemson didn't look good either. And then the next next game you play against Liberty, who, by the way, oh, shot South Carolina out of the gym as well. And then I was worried the other night after watching the first quarter against Texas State, but we got better as the game went on. And I thought in the second half, we're beginning to kind of find some identity a little bit, but Iverson Molinar coming back. Hope to see him on Friday night. Charlie, you've got that game with me Friday night, right? Yeah, that's right. And, well, I think you're right. We've got to get him back on the floor. It makes you a different team. It makes you a completely different team. So everything kind of going on right now, football here at the end of the year, men's and women's basketball kicking up. And so it's just that fun time to be on a college campus when sports are beginning to overlap. Well, on this week's show, we're going to talk to the head dog himself, the pirate, Mike Leach, up next. And once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau, favorites.com. Check them out at favorites.com and get the best quote for the 
best service of any insurance carrier in the state of Mississippi. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. In this guest line segment, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made at the Cooper's Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence. So it's a Mississippi-made product. It's absolutely great stuff. No matter what you get, just the original, the jalapeno cheddar. Matt and I were talking about the green onion yesterday, the pineapple pork. We just got all kind of those great sausages at Country Pleasing. Pick it up at your local grocer. If you can't get it, you can't find it, just give them a call down at Florence at Cooper's Cooper's Country Meat Packers, and they'll ship it to you. Go to countrypleasing.com. And this guest line segment this week brought to you by Country Pleasing. And we're joined now by the – Head coach of Mississippi State, Mike Leach, joins us. And, Coach, we appreciate you hanging out with us for just a little bit of time. When you came to Mississippi State, of course, you've kind of been on the outside looking in for a long time. You start thinking about players that came from this state. I mean, what what your overall thought was on players that came from the state of Mississippi. Has it changed at all since you've been here? You've been here almost a year now. So looking back at how you thought about players from the state of Mississippi to, to where you are now, has that changed at all in the last nine months? It really hasn't. I mean, we've got some incredibly young guys. So from that standpoint, it's maybe reinforced that, you know, we went to uh, we went to Georgia and all our points were scored by freshmen, you know, and then, and then obviously some uh, big plays on defense by freshmen. Um, and so I guess the quick thing would be the impression was uh, uh, tough and passionate about football and then the the body of work by everybody that's gone to the NFL from the state of Mississippi, which I think sometimes is is overlooked. I mean, it's uh, to almost anybody in the country, you can start rattling off names and then they'll go, oh, yeah, that's right, he was from Mississippi, or I forgot, I didn't know he was from Mississippi, you know. And, and you could just go right down the list. And it, I mean, like crazy number. And I mean, um, superstar guys. And so there, uh, there's that uh, uh, aspect of it. Uh, I, for one, would love to see Mississippi get into the passing league competitions, you know. Um, and I think uh, one thing that has uh, really elevated uh, the skill level at uh, – you know, uh, some states like, uh, well, I mean, uh, like Texas, California, and Florida, is they have passing leagues all over the state year-round. And it would be easy to do in Mississippi, I think, because so many towns are so close to one another. And, um, and uh, you know, and so it, it's, uh, it's really elevated, I think, the skill level. And I think there's definitely a hunger for it. In Mississippi, because anything football, I mean, you know, there's going to be a crowd if some kid accidentally kicks his football over a fence. I mean, there's going to be a crowd, right? And um, so uh, I I would like to see that because I think it would en- enhance the skill level with all the, uh, the raw material you have, so to speak, like uh, people that are passionate about football that are tough and uh, good at it and want to be better at it. You've had the good fortune to coach all around the country. One of the things that people say in in this part of the country is that, well, kids down here in the Deep South are just different. You have to coach kids different. They're, they're different kind of players than you get other places. I'm curious, your observation being around the country, 
does that hold up? Is that true? Or do you find that kids are, are basically the, the same everywhere? Maybe I'm a little numb to it. I, it seems to me, I mean, um, uh, if guys really want to play, um, you know, they're, they're similar. They're awfully similar. I mean, they'll, <clears throat> they'll work incredibly hard. They'll make all kinds of sacrifices to do it. Um, I think there's, uh, in Mississippi, there's perhaps a higher level of need for football to, you know, f- for education and, you know, to go on, get a good job than some places, you know, but, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, and it, I, I've never found that it mattered, uh, you know, urban or country or anything like that. If somebody really wants to play, they're going to make all kinds of sacrifices to play, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and like uh, rich guys, poor guys, it doesn't matter. I mean, they, these guys, if they really want to play, I mean, they'll just make uh, crazy sacrifices to be good. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's like uh, nothing's, uh, uh, the same for everybody, but uh, there, I think there's a high number of people in Mississippi that really want to play that'll, um, you know, really uh, commit and do a lot of things to be a good football player. Talking to Coach Mike Leach and Coach, we talk about playing a lot of freshmen last week and about you, know, you talk about the raw skill of the state of Mississippi and you rely a lot on the freshmen. Let's take a step away from football a little bit. I know you're you're well read, you read a lot, and you may watch some documentaries. What's what's the latest that's on the on the big thing that's uh, that, that that's really piqued your interest? Are you on? A, I'm on a I'm on a CIA you know trail right now. I've been on, in the CIA trail for a while, or whether it be you know. Kiki Camarena or whatever. I mean, what what are you what are you looking at uh, right now? Did you read that Henry Crumpton book? I have not. I think it's Henry Crumpton. Um, shoot, I have it in my bag, and I have it uh, two thirds read too. Um, well, he talks about his years in the CIA, uh, and I wish I could think of the title of it. But it's a good book. And then uh, I'll tell you another thing on the, those lines that was outstanding. Somebody told me about it. Operation Odessa, okay, not really CIA, but basically these, uh, and, and it's documentary to the point where it's guys sitting there um, with a microphone, and, you know, it's not a drama thing or nothing, um, And but then there will be some pictures and some footage, but uh, when the Iron Curtain fell, uh, these international criminals decided that they were going to uh, they were going to secure a submarine from the Soviet Union and sell it to Pablo Escobar. And there's a lot of tangles in that story. It's well worth it. It's about an hour and a half. Operation Odessa, that's a must-see. And then, um, oh, I guess it's sort of a documentary, not much of one. I'm watching the latest Fargo. And so I watched uh, <coughs> two episodes of the latest uh, Fargo. Um, and then, of course, uh, my mom's family is actually from Minnesota. This one takes place in Kansas City. And, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's got these sort of, uh, it's like, it's sort of like the movie Fargo, these, uh, <clears throat> kind of passive aggressive characters that, uh, can really do some diabolical stuff. And so, uh, yeah. And so that, yeah. And I've, I've enjoyed all the Fargos, uh. Uh, the, the Fargo movie I enjoyed, and I, I enjoyed, uh, and this Fargo's uh, off to a pretty good start. 
Did you watch Yellowstone? I grew up, I grew up right by where that uh, is supposed to be set. Okay, so um, <clears throat> okay, so Yellowstone, that lodge, that's the Chief Joseph Lodge in Darby, Montana, which is uh, less than two hours from uh, Pullman, Washington, of all places. However, that's not where um, it's supposed to take place in Bozeman, Montana. And I grew up in Cody, Wyoming. <clears throat> and Cody's right on the other side of the Beartooths from Bozeman. Beartooths is a range, so if you were a crow or something, you probably only have to go 70 miles. But in a in a vehicle, you got to go around the Beartooths to get there, and so then it takes you a little over three hours. But um, And I had a, a lot of people from my high school went to, that's where Montana State is, and so it's supposed to be set in Bozeman, so it, yeah, it was, it's kind of like uh uh, reminded me a lot of where I, I grew up, that type of thing. And then, of course, they film these things on tax breaks, and I, I'm one of those guys that reads the credits. And so a lot of it's filmed in Utah. So We're talking to Coach Mike Leach, a head football coach at Mississippi State. This segment's been brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And when we come back, a final word with the Bulldog head coach right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. We're talking to the head football coach at Mississippi State, Mike Leach. And this segment brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Startwell. Cannon Ford. Go by and see Chris Keene and the gang at Cannon Ford right there on 182 in Startwell. And they've got the best deals for you on a new or used car. The service department is great. If you have a fender bender, check them out at the body shop. And they'll do anything. The customer service is what it's all about. When you buy a vehicle, you want someone that you can trust, that you can take it back to if anything happens. And that is a Cannon Ford of Startwell. Great people, great prices. So go check them out. And we're still talking to Coach Mike Leach. You've written a book on Geronimo. Uh, I'm curious what it is that uh, drew you to those. Is it leadership qualities? Is it an audacity? What what personality trait, if any, kind of drew you to those people? I know you've written about Daniel Boone too. You know, what what kind of draws you to these figures? Um, I think that um, well, the first thing is when I <clears throat> was a kid, I, I always had like a, a journal and stuff. And and always, uh, I always thought I would write something. And then, of course, I uh, majored in American studies. I minored in English, so that was, you know, all those classes where no, you didn't have to do any math. But uh, you know, twenty-page paper was just part of the deal. You know, it's like uh, um, <clears throat> each class uh, had a twenty-page paper, or a ten-page paper. You know, and so then which I honestly didn't mind. I mean, I would procrastinate and have to pull some all-nighters to get them done. But um, uh, then I wrote, um, uh, well, Bruce Feldman and I wrote uh, <clears throat> Swing Your Sword, which is on my path into coaching, and <clears throat> enjoyed doing that. It's kind of a grind. There's a point of about four years where you want to read every anything but your book because you've gone over it over and over and over. And it's not the fun stuff. It's like, okay, is this word too strong, this one too weak? You know, should we even have this paragraph, that type of stuff? And then, um, and that one did, um, that one made it to number five on the New York Times bestseller. 
And then on the strength of that, I had the opportunity to uh, do the Geronimo book. And they said, you know, we'd like to do another book. I go, well, what do you want the book to be about? He said, well, something that interests you. What do you like, you know? And, and since I was a kid, I was interested in uh, Geronimo, you know, and this is back in the <clears throat> day when kids and dogs ran all over the neighborhood, you know, it was stuff was unobstructed and um, it was like little rascals, but you didn't have quite as much. Uh, I don't know where they got all that old lumber, and we looked for it. And I'm not saying we didn't take some scraps from a construction site here and there, but we didn't have as cool a forts as little rascals did, I'll tell you that. We wanted them, though. Um, but anyway, so you'd play cowboys and Indians, and I was always an Indian unless occasionally I'd be Daniel Boone. And, you know, because your imagination's kind of what drove you is before, um, <clears throat> before you had 500 channels. We had three. And, of course, one of them was the Daniel Boone show. But anyway, um, so uh, uh, I remember I was in, I think, second or second grade maybe. And then... Um, Went to that, saw a commercial on TV. You know, we were living in, in Golden, Colorado then. Talked about the public library. So we went to the library, and <clears throat> my mom took us to the library, and we're looking all over the library, you know. And, and, and this was about the time I learned that there was no Santa, so I had some major trust issues with, uh, with uh, being misled. And so I hear about this library, you know, and so put my mom through the Inquisition. Mom, what's this? Well, it says here you can go get books. Yeah, free books. You get them and you can read them. And she goes, well, it's a library. I go, well, why haven't I been informed of this? How come I don't know? Where have you been? Why didn't you tell me? Well, we had trouble with that Santa Claus issue and the tooth fairy. So, I mean, what else am I not being told? You know, And, 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 um, and so she took me and my sister to the library. <clears throat> we were looking all over the place, and, and, and uh, I didn't know when I'd get back to such a place. And uh, she says, well, you can get a book and I'll read it to you. And and obviously she was thinking Dr. Seuss or something like that, you know, something quick, something easy. So my sister got a book, you know, a kid's book. And and I thought, well, we're not wasting this opportunity. I said, well, where, where are the Indian books, you know? And then we went over there. And these are real books, like to, uh, real books to the point where I cited this book, some of these books in my book on Geronimo, okay? And then, um, so I got a full-fledged Geronimo <laughs> biography book, you know, footnote type of stuff. And she said she'd read it to it, and she did. She did. I mean, <clears throat> every night would read uh, some more Geronimo, some more Geronimo. And <clears throat> obviously the book got renewed a bunch of times, you know. Um, but she read that whole book, uh, to me when I was in about second grade. And then from there, I tried to get my hands on as much Geronimo stuff as I could, read about it, and then uh, had the opportunity to do the book with a guy named Buddy Levy. And Buddy's a great guy. Buddy, um, <clears throat> and I've only seen, I haven't seen all the episodes, but there used to be a show, History Decoded. And you had a historian, an attorney, and an engineer. And they would take you to historical sites, check it out. And Buddy was the historian. And um, so that was a great experience. Uh, 
doing a book with him, and that was, uh, well, it was really one of the strangest coincidences of my life. Uh, a very bizarre. Okay, so <coughs> uh, doing Swing Your Sword, we self-published Swing Your Sword, and um, and so that was the other thing. It did really well for a self-published book, you know, and a lot of people read it, and then um, they... Uh, uh, well, there was a an agent, a book agent in New York, and in our case, he was just an advisor. You know, to, uh, you know, helped us get an editor to re read it over, and uh, you know, some stuff like that. Well, anyway, um, so uh, so Buddy uh, is a client of uh, Scott. Scott's his literary agent, and and so. Um, he says, "Yeah, I got a, I got a client that you know he's always been interested in your stuff, read your book, and would like to do a book with you sometime." And I'm in Key West. This is when I was out of coaching, and and so <clears throat> I have a conversation with Buddy in like August, and you know we had a good conversation, and it's like, uh, it's like, yeah, well, we ought to do something sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, maybe we'll sometime we'll do it. And I thought, well. You know, Buddy's a nice guy, but I don't know if I'll ever even meet this guy. And and so didn't think a lot about it. And then um, uh, and then I asked Scott, I go, so Buddy, I go, what does he, you know, what's he do for a living? He goes, ah, I don't know. He lives in Idaho or Washington or somewhere like that. And I go, well, does he have a day job? He goes, well, he's, you know, been on History Decoded. He's written some other stuff, wrote a book on Davy Crockett and, and I read Buddy's book on Davy Crockett, and then um, did one on Cortez too. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so I, uh, uh, and that's all I know about him. So I go to Washington State after about a week. Um, secretary comes in, and says, "Hey, uh, it's a guy named Buddy Levy, a friend of yours out there, wants to talk to you." I'm thinking, Buddy Levy. Buddy Levy, who's Buddy Levy? She said something about doing a book or, you know, I go, so, so I go out there. I go, well, Buddy, what are you doing here? Are you on a road trip or something? I mean, what brings you to Pullman, Washington? And um, he goes, he goes, well, I'm a professor at Washington State. He's a professor at Washington State. How about that? <laughs> and, and not history, but English. He's a professor at Washington State. Yes, he lives in Idaho, in Moscow, which is eight miles away, and um, <clears throat> but teaching at Washington State, and so in December, then I'm the head coach at Washington State, and there's Buddy Levy, professor on campus, <laughs> sitting out in the lobby. Well, then of course, um, you know, destiny or whatever. We then we did the Geronimo book, and it was a great, uh, great time. My daughter's 15, and she asked Charlie last month about being a, an attorney. And Charlie says, absolutely not. And he goes into all these reasons about why you should be an attorney and why you should not be an attorney. I want to ask you about young guys coming in wanting to be a football coach. What do you tell somebody young coming in who wants to be a football coach? Uh, you know, it's like Bear Bryant said. Now, none of Bear Bryant's kids ever became football coaches. Bear Bryant – used to say, don't be a football coach unless you can't conceive of doing anything else. 
And then, um, uh, no, I think I think it's it's got to it's got to be a passion first of all. Uh, the college guys, almost without exception, start out doing it for free. Um, I think the <clears throat> I think the be- the easiest path, the easiest path, and, and there's great coaching there is is perhaps high school because you know you get your degree and and then the other thing you can um, within reason. You know, you can live in pretty much any state you want. You may not be at the exact high school you want. You can live in any state you want. And, um, and you know, you get a job. And I, I know a lot of great high school coaches, really good. I mean, you know, everybody thinks whoever is at the highest level is the best coach. Or, you know, some NFL guy or something. I doubt that. I suspect the, the best coach is some high school coach just on sheer numbers. You know, I mean, there's so many – many people there's so much talent there i gotta think the best uh coach is probably one of those high school guys that we don't know about you know and um but uh you know they go there and they you know get a job and work their way up and and can uh you know do a lot of a variety of things and 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 then um and then they all say well i'm going to go to college i'm going to go to college well then Pretty soon they're married. They've got a kid. They've got a pickup. They've got uh, some bills. They're in, a, you know, they they're in a softball league. They go uh, fishing on, you know, certain times of the year, and they never really make it to college. But you start out in college pretty much doing it for free. You know, you get the maybe a student assistant thing where you're working long hours doing nothing or uh, getting paid nothing, and. Um, so I think one thing about college, most college guys are pretty passionate about it because they all got in it, doing it for free nearly, and um, and had to um, really want to be there, and either not be married or have a pretty understanding wife with regard to that type <laughs> of thing. And then, uh, but uh, yeah, persistence is the most important thing, and then. Uh, but try to have a skill set where you can do something else if, uh, you know, because uh, uh, college coaches move around a lot. I'm curious. I lived in Dallas for a while, and if you talk to somebody from Dallas, they tell you that the greatest high school coaches in the country are right there in Dallas, Texas, be it at South Lake Carroll or Plano or those places. And they kind of look down on coaching in high schools in Mississippi and Alabama. I'm wondering, do you, do you find that coaches in this part of the country are underrated? Oh yeah, I think they are. I think, well, in Texas you get you get more hours. The typical head coach in Texas is the AD, sometimes the golf coach, so that uh, he can log time with the boosters. You know, so basically they drop the <laughs> they drop the golf team off at the golf course, whether the coach can golf or not, <laughs> and, and he's uh, there to. Uh, have some FaceTime with the boosters. And then, um, but, you know, they pretty much get the whole day, you know, as far as uh, to plan and work the different groups. Then they'll have a uh, <clears throat> a lifting hour, a training hour, and something like that. So I, I, think, I, I think there's more resources provided, which is definitely beneficial. Like in Florida, you know, every classification gets a full month of spring football. So if you add that up, I mean, a, a kid from Florida, if he played every year, has played a whole other season, you know, because 
you know, one month times four, that's, uh, you know, that's September, October, November, December. I mean, or August, you want to back it up to August, you know, but so um, <clears throat> I think the resources are better, I think, and then they have bigger staffs, but that doesn't mean they're, they're a better coach. I mean, who's the best coach is pretty hard to gauge because it's, uh, you know, what a guy does with his resources. You know, somebody, um, you know, may be really attached to a place and uh, doesn't necessarily have the best resources but gets the most out of them. Well, that guy's, that guy's the best coach, you know, as opposed to, you know, some big powerful school with all kinds of resources where the next guy does the same thing the last guy did, you know. I mean, uh, that, to me, that's not quite as good a gauge, you know. I mean, um, but, uh, oh, you'll, you'll run into, like, we, we've, we've stolen over the years, we've stolen plays from, like, junior high schools or something, or somebody sees something or somebody does something, and it's a heck of an idea, you know. And then, um, and yeah, it may not change our whole thing, but it changes something, you know, maybe a technique, maybe a, uh, some kind of deal. So, uh, yeah. Coach, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We got uh, Dave Emmerich just wandered through, if anybody would like to talk to him. We'll catch Dave next week. Well, he's a bright and promising young man, and I've worked with him since he's 18, and uh, some things get better, some things get worse, and he's yet to be <laughs> determined. <so. laughs> Coach, appreciate you. All right, thanks. Coach Mike Leach talking with us in this segment, as we said, been brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Startville. Charlie and I will come back with a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Always great to talk with Mike Leach. We always hear some interesting things. Charlie, you know, going forward, we talked about uh, men's and women's basketball a moment ago, but uh, going forward the rest of the weekend, state in men's basketball on Friday night, 7 o'clock, it'll be SEC Plus. You get me and Charlie. Hey, man, I enjoyed last night. I'm telling you, it's amazing how, you know, we've been doing this podcast all year long, so we kind of stay in a broadcast mode. But, man, I'm telling you, it's just nothing better. And, and people tell us all the time how lucky we have it, and we are lucky because there's nothing better than when the lights come on and the game starts. To me, there's nothing better than broadcasting a ball game. That's what we've been doing for about 20 years now. And last night was just a lot of fun to be back behind the microphone and watch a ball game. How did you like, by the way, You know, traditionally when we have broadcast basketball, we have been right courtside. We've been right down front, nothing between us and the court. Last night, because of all the restrictions in place, we're now actually sitting back up where Jack used to do ball games. I think way back when, kind of around the concourse area. How do you like the vantage point being up high versus down low? I love it. I love being up high because too. you don't have to turn your neck. Because here's the thing, okay? If we're sitting on the floor, one thing is, is we're, we're having to wear ties, okay? And what that happens <laughs> is, is I got a thick neck because I got, I'm 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 thick, okay? My son told me this morning I'm a thick boy. But anyway, when you're wearing a tie and you're having to turn left and then right the whole game, some chafing issues happen on the neck, especially if you have just shaved. And so that hurts a little bit. So now you get to move back up off the floor, and you can watch everything unfold in front of you. Now you're not as close. Now the lucky thing is is I don't have any eye issues. Knock on wood. It hasn't happened yet. I don't need glasses. I can still see. So that's the good thing. 
But the second thing, let me tell you why I love that vantage point. Well, one is you can see everything, but the second thing is this. There's a really close bathroom. There is a very close, there's a very, very, very close bathroom. And so from a broadcast standpoint, what's the first thing you do when you walk into a new arena? Okay, where do we set up and where's the nearest restroom? Because you got to think about it. You know, we're condensed on time. We only have, you know, two two minutes worth of commercials there. And so the, the, the quick trek to the restroom is a big deal. I like it. It's interesting. You know, as a kid, the only thing I ever wanted to do in football was to be on the sidelines. Please let me go to the sidelines. Let me go to the sidelines. And then when you get to the sidelines, I can't see anything. No. It's like, why do I want to be down here? I can't see anything. I want my seats back. I was kind of that way in basketball, right? You kind of want to be down close. But what you start to see is you gain some perspective moving back up in terms of what's happening away from the basketball. You get a little bit of a top-down view. I think you can really start to see plays develop better, what people are trying to set up when they're running down screens and things like that that you can't necessarily see from the floor level. And so it's certainly a different view. I think I like it better. I think I'm going to lobby to – to keep that broadcast spot. I saw Josh Lively this morning, SID for women's basketball, and he said, hey, how'd you like it? I was like, to be honest with you, for 10 years, that's where we were. Back when I used to broadcast women's basketball, that's where I was, and that's where I, uh, where I like to be. One is you're up top, nobody bothers you. And, I mean, and I love for people to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, but at the end of the day, you're kind of a little cocoon there with a great view of the floor. And and Jack always loved that. I mean, Jim Ellis loves that vantage point. I mean, I think as a broadcaster, I love that vantage point of being up top. I, I thought back, you know, after I got home last night, thinking back to that game, and what made me excited a lot about women's basketball and, and this team is is you saw how much a Jessica Carter, a Sydney Cooks, and I mean, you start talking about frontline players. How many times in frontline players, especially in women's basketball? Do you not see a whole lot of movement? You don't see a lot of movement sometimes. You have some players that, that really don't understand the game and how hard you have to play without the basketball. Like you said, seeing things open up last night, that's why I was so left last night so promised about this women's team is how much and how hard they play without the basketball to get in good position. And we always got in good position down low. It was it was really good. But going back, and, and I know, hey, you know, people out there, people have different thought processes when it comes to, to vantage points in basketball. Some people want to be down low. Some people like to be in the ends and the corners because the game is kind of taking place right there and you can see plays open up. Some people like to be up high. Um, so I'll give you one real quick. When we played in the regional tournament, one of Vic's first years, we went to Duke and yeah. played. And so I got to do a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, which you would think is super cool. Awful. The, <laughs> it is like a, a, a academic building on campus that they just gutted and put a basketball floor in. The broadcast booth is actually on a catwalk. You climb up, and they pull the ladder up after you. You can't <laughs> leave without an usher coming to give you a ladder to climb down. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Okay, deviate from the point, best place you've ever broadcast a game. Best place. I'll tell you mine before, and I'll let you get to going. Two, two places. One's Madison Square Garden. We did a game in Madison Square Garden. Of course, we played in that coaches, our 2K Sports Classic. I think it was uh, – it was Renardo and it was Stansbury's last year. We won that thing. You know, we played Texas A&M. We played Arizona. You know, I was sitting right by Dan Shulman. I always tell a story. I was sitting by Dan Shulman doing a game for ESPN. And 24 hours later, I was checking a fence on a four-wheeler in Nanooya. I always thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. And 
going out to the Lahaina Civic Center in Maui, and you're playing in this gym, the smaller than the Shelba Central, and you've got like North Carolina and Marquette and Duke and all these teams rolling out. I mean, there's no stands behind the goals. I mean, it's just like it's look like going to a high school arena and you're seeing all these big time players. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Cameron Indoor, from the historical context, was probably one of the coolest. Um, going to Hawaii and broadcasting, we didn't get to go to Maui. We went to Honolulu, but that was nice. You know, of course, one thing you know this about broadcasting women's basketball, I've been to North Dakota, you've been to Parts Unknown. There are some really cool gyms that are empty. Then you end up at places like Tennessee where they fill it up, and it's it's an incredible environment. And then now and then, particularly early in the season, you'll end up going to places that you are basically playing in a conference hall. Yes. You know, these preseason tournaments, you think, well, hey, we're going to Florida, we're going to Miami, we're going to all these places. It's like they just took a convention center and brought two goals in sometimes. It is strange broadcasting there. The Anaheim Convention Center, 2007, okay, there were 16 fans other than people working the game. And it may be, a, be some producer from ESPN was sitting up there with his phone. I don't know. But there were like 16 people seriously watching us play basketball in that arena. I mean, there was nobody there. Now, we that, went to Las Vegas one time, and they did it in the rodeo arena. And so <laughs> you had this constant smell. smell. <laughs> and it was just brutal. You know, Jack said they used to play basketball at LSU in the old cow, cow barn before they beat the, uh, built the Maravich Assembly Center. Uh-huh. And he said at the edges of the floor, they still had the dirt. They would roll off the wood floor and go into the dirt. And he says, I kid you not, we had to wipe the ball one game. That The ball boy had to wipe the ball uh, before they I, put it back in play. I tell you where I hate playing. I hate playing in courts that are on top of ice. Oh, yeah. You, know, you see where you have a a skating rink, hockey facility, and then you put the court down on top of it because the static is unbelievable. Static's bad and your feet get cold. Yeah, it's it's just brutal. We I'm had that not a Cor- fan of those. Had that at Corpus Christi. I also had that at Providence where the uh, the ice. But here's the thing is a lot of times in the rubber mats that they put over the ice have gotten better because used to they were like these you know, four-by-eight pieces of rubber that they would put over the over the ice, and then they would put a mat on top of that. Well, if you've got a crease right below your feet, I'm serious, man. I promise you. In Providence, Rhode Island, my feet were numb when I walked out of there. It was awful. But anyway, but fun nonetheless. Okay, so women's basketball plays on Saturday at South Florida in Tampa. Back on and actually talking about, I guess we could be talking about, hey, I could do, go a whole segment about places you broadcast games from. I mean, it's it's wild the things you've had to do to get on the air and places you broadcast from. Oh, my goodness. And the people that have yelled at you and cussed you out in every way known to man. But uh, anyway, uh, men's basketball plays Friday night. Who do we play? North Texas? I haven't looked at it yet. We, uh, I think, you know, here's the thing about broadcasting as well, is I'll start looking at your Friday night's game. It's the mean green on Friday. Yep, North Texas. I told you, hey, I'm right, man. I'm good. I've, I've gotten I've got two pages of notes done already. So Me we got and Joe th- Green played there in football. He did, didn't he? Hey, enjoyed it as always, Charlie. We uh, had Mike Leach. We talked a little bit about uh, the football, about getting ready for uh, the next uh, two games. Hopefully, we'll be back next week previewing the Auburn Fighting Tigers, and so that'll do it. 
this week on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Country Pleasing Sausage, the best sausage known to man. And then Cannon Ford of Starkville, Cannon Ford, Chris Keen, and all the guys at Cannon Ford, the service they provide if you're in the market for a new or used car, go by and check them out at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a Cannon deal. Nobody. So that'll do it. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.